Rabalek balamba ye ali kampe. Peche la te passe yo pa weli. What you just heard is our guest setting an intention for this interview by singing this little song in Haitian Creole. I'm really happy to tell you all that we finally have our first drummer and percussionist on the show. I've seen him perform many times over the years and have always enjoyed something about his playing that's kind of hard to describe. I guess I could say that it is as much about his presence as his skillful playing. He was born in Bronxville, New York, grew up in Western Connecticut, and made his way to California in 1974. He performs in and around the Bay Area, playing with a large pool of musicians and plays in a variety of styles and genres, which he really enjoys. That said, he has a really special passion for Haitian drumming, has studied seriously for many years, and performs regularly with two Bay Area Haitian dance companies. He's also been a member of the Brazilian jazz guitarist-slash-composer Ricardo Peixoto's quintet for five years. Our guest is also a teacher, teaching both privately and at Sonoma State University, where he leads an ensemble in the jazz program. Our guest is actually one of the very first people I thought of having on the show when Daniel and I first started this project. So I'm just really thrilled that we finally got to sit down with him and also that we get to share our conversation with you. We are so pleased to welcome to the show Kendrick Freeman. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where we have heart-to-heart talks about music and life. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. I hope you're all doing well. And once again, we thank you for joining us on this podcast today. Um, Whatever you might play, whether you're a musician or not, we definitely have a treat for you guys, especially your drummers. Today we have Kendrick Freeman in the house, who's played with people all around the world and is really like has all this solid information that I can't wait to hear about. But first of all, thank you for coming out today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to start by kind of talking about what you do today. Um, obviously, at Sonoma State, you are a teacher who does the Latin jazz band, right? I am. Right. And I'm- then... We've also, uh, Jill has met you through seeing you play, actually, I believe, right? Yeah, you know, I, uh, Kendrick, I think I've seen you over, I don't know, a lot of years um, at Hotel Healdsburg, playing with right. all kinds of people, mm-hmm. and in many, many mm-hmm. of the Bay Area uh, right. places. So I've always just um, absolutely loved what you do and love the spirit of who you are as you play, which, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. I, I notice. And, and that's why I was really excited to have you on the podcast. Totally. So, totally. Welcome. Thank you. One of the um, things that I've always been interested in is a wide range of music. And I think that what that has done is helped me to come out of myself a little bit and mm. to learn about humanity. Mm. Yeah. Because as a young guy, I was shy mm-hmm. and didn't really value social skills. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just concentrating on playing drums and thinking that that would be enough, but of course it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you hear <Yeah>. that, drummers? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have some other goals that you wanted to accomplish through drumming? <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. the people skills part of it, I'm so grateful to all the people that I've played with because they've in some cases been really great models for me about 
how to move in the world yeah. in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. So, uh, in some ways, I'm jack of all trades, master of none. But in, in another uh, way of looking at it, is I've gotten to play with a wide range of people that are really interesting, mm-hmm. and I'm still uh, interested in learning. I'm still hungry for that. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I had the opportunity one time to loan my drum set to the great jazz drummer Billy Higgins. And I gave him a tape of some Haitian music, um, and his eyes lit up. He's like, awesome. oh, great, more information. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who's a, it's on 800 records and recorded with everybody, and he's still excited about something yeah. different. Yeah. So I love that spirit. Wow. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's just yes. a dedication to that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, so, um, you know, and I know that Billy Huggins was uh, living in New York. Where are you from originally? I was born in Bronxville, New York, which is the bottom of Westchester County. Mm -hmm. My dad worked in Midtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he moved to outside Hartford, Connecticut when I was about 12. Mm -hmm. And I lived my teenage years in western Connecticut. And I was in Boston for a minute, and I came to California in 1974. Okay. Gotcha. And what about your, um, did you go to college? Did you, you know, train anywhere? How did you learn the drums? Well, my first teacher was a guy named Steve Mulwitz, who was a member of a regional Dorsey band Hmm. when I was maybe nine or ten years old. And he would actually come to the house, something that not too many people would do these days. But, and I'd have my little weekly lesson, and he taught me the basics of reading mm-hmm. and some rudiments and stuff, and, and it was good information. Totally. Um, I was too young to be really focused, mm-hmm. right? But still, it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I should mention my mother as being somebody who had a musical sense and spirit to her. Mm-hmm. There was classical music in the house. Nice. And I think, looking back on it, that that has given me an appreciation and a, a sense of form mm-hmm. and arrangement. Yeah. which has helped me memorize things. Mm. So yeah. I think that came, and just what she felt in her heart for music. She played piano when she was young mm-hmm. and gave it up mm. when she had a family, but then later in life got herself a little baby grand piano and started playing again. Nice. So <clears throat> I, and she took me into New York to buy my first drums, one at a time. <gasps> Because the, the, my, my folks weren't sure I was going to stick with a drum set. So <laughs> they weren't going to buy the whole thing all at once. They right. said, well, we'll get you a snare drum. <laughs> and then we'll get you a bass drum, then a cymbal, and so on. But I remember being on West 48th Street with her and going from one shop to the next until she got the best price. <laughs> That's so and great. I still have that drum. It's an oh. old Gretsch bass drum. So. Wow still have those drums. So, you know, how long did it take you to, to go from the snare to the next drum? <laughs> oh. <laughs> a month? I'd have to rake leaves and save money. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> and there are a lot of leaves to rake back yeah. east, right? Yeah, I know that. Some snow to shovel. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so then I was interested when I, when I finally came to San Francisco in 74, um, I went to a place called Lone Mountain College, which is now part of uh, USF. Okay, yeah. It's up on Turk Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I studied music, and I got the degree. Um, but the most important connections that I made there were with uh, George Marsh, who's a jazz drummer and a great teacher. He's actually living here in Santa Rosa now. Mm-hmm. But um, he was living in the city then, and he was also down on the peninsula for a while. 
So I've had a long-term relationship with him, and he's been very influential. Mm -hmm. um, and when I would go to his house for lessons, I would get an example of how an artist would live, because mm -hmm. his life was not separate from, from his right. work. So yeah. that was a chance to really observe oh. for the first time. Can you say more about that? Yeah, that's interesting. About, about, <laughs> about George? Yeah. yeah. Like his, how his life was um, one with his music, his regular life and his music life. And well, he, George, like. George always took music as a high thing. He always, mm -hmm. I think he, I don't know if he ever actually said this to me, but his, the message that I got was that it's not something that you ever get to. Yeah. A place where you decide that you're going to play with it and use it for your own ends. It's an art form, and it's serious work. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're always looking up at it. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for a quote here by the, the sculptor, um, Henry Moore. Sorry for the paper here. but um, Henry Moore, the secret of life is to have a task, something you devote your entire life to something you bring everything to, every minute of the day for the rest of your life. And the most important thing is it must be something you can't possibly do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little daunting. <laughs> no, that's... I, mm. It means that you, you have to remain humble and you always, it's, there's always more. There's always You're more. never going to get to the end of it. Yeah. Um, mm. So I'm more interested in pure music than I am entertainment. I think if, for me, when I go to see a show, if the musicians are playing well and the music is sincere, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that I got what I went to see. Right. Um, I'm not against entertainment and dancing and lights and all that stuff per se, but for me, that's extra. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it um, takes a long time to develop a voice. And, you know, once again, we don't get to the end of it, but um, yeah. I look at how I feel about music now, and of course, you know, you... Yeah, changes. Your view of it hopefully gets larger. Hmm. Well, when you talk about developing a voice, it just kind of rang this bell um, when, with this little thing that I read this morning about, uh, I think your teacher... Um, that you were mentioning earlier today, his name was is um, Daniel. Daniel Daniel Braville. Braville. Yeah. Yeah. And he said something about. Um, let's see, I wrote it down. Um, that melody can carry information. Um, is that I think about developing a voice when you when you said like um, developing a voice? I thought it was interesting that you used the word voice in relation to drums because. I mean, even though it's maybe a generalized term, because I think of voice a lot of times as melodic as opposed to percussive, right. even though, of course, there is percussion in it. But can you tell us more about like just developing, like, developing your voice, whether or not it relates to this quote or not? Hmm. Well, I don't know how it is for everybody else, but for me, it's a, you go through a period of apprenticeship where you're learning your materials, and you're learning your technique, but ultimately, you start to discover there's some things that you do that are unique to yourself. Mm. And that, to me, is the, the doorway into finding yourself. Your voice is just who you are, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's your spirit. Yeah. And that's really your gift that you have to offer people. 
you know, when, you, when I hear you say that, I have to just say that it's really calming to hear you say that because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just on a personal level, I yeah. can often just feel terrible about my skill mm-hmm. levels, yeah. you know, because I have such high expectations um, of myself. And, and actually, I just of late have just been trying to have a different voice with myself mm-hmm. that says, you know, hey, this is about me and my essence. And regardless of whether I have these kick-ass you know, piano skills or not, it's like there's something inside and perhaps, perhaps there's a gift that people, you know, can enjoy. Because ultimately, we do, we want to connect, right, as yeah, a musician. Totally. I'm going to say not perhaps there's a gift. <laughs> there's absolutely oh, yeah. a gift. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't, that's what we come in here for. Mm-hmm. So we all have one, but you have to uncover it. And yeah. if you have a teacher that is sensitive to that and encourages that to come out, you can find it more quickly than as if you are in a situation where people are looking for you to fit into a certain paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, your pitch isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh, your rhythm isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. That should be stuff that comes later. The first thing that should happen is let's find out where your spirit is and what you love. Mm -hmm. And let's follow that. And then you'll fix all the other stuff <laughs> As you go. just on your own. You don't need somebody else to tell you that. You're, you'll, you'll listen to yourself and you'll mm-hmm. fix it. But that first connection, that's, that's what we have. Um, we've probably all gone to shows, I know I have, where I've uh, had high expectations for the band. And they were great players, big-name people. And I went home and I couldn't remember any of it. Right. It didn't touch me. It was technically amazing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, it, leaves me dry as well. It's like I wish I could play like that, but yeah. But I I need to feel something. Yeah. So. And. For me, melody certainly carries a lot of emotion too. <clears throat> and the human voice is so sensitive, and so I love melody, mm-hmm. and I react to it as a drummer. I react to it, to the point of, like sometimes going, ah, be careful, keep. <laughs> Keep the keep the keep the tempo in the feel, yeah. and don't follow this other thing, <laughs> right? Yeah, off over the hill, you know. Right. Well, actually, that this is a little bit of a digression, but um, uh, speaking of that, um, keeping the tempo and getting carried away by a melody. What what happens if I mean, like, who's in charge when, for example, like a, a singer will start, you know, or a horn player starts, you know, actually I heard this last night (laughs) happen, and it was really interesting, um, because, you know, during the solo period, um, they all, like, really, like, the tempo was so much faster, and then um, it was time for the horn player to come back in and do the melody, and, um, you know, the drummer, well, I didn't know this until I asked them afterwards what happened, but... um, then, you know, the tempo slowed way back down so that the horn player could do this nice, long, you know, this ballad. And, and actually, honestly, I thought it, it sounded great that way because it was kind of neat to have that extra energy with, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, the tempo. But um, I did ask the, them what happened afterwards, and they said that, in fact, you know, they all sped up and that the drummer mm-hmm. actually took charge mm-hmm. and started to slow down so that the horn player could... So anyway, I want to hear your take on like that whole thing, like okay. personal experience and yeah. Um, 
I think there are people in the world that have perfect tempo, just like some people have perfect pitch, but I think they're rare. And I think most of it is um, you have to be so comfortable and in control of your instrument that you're not worried about your technique, that, you, that your rhythm is going to yeah. um, mm -hmm. uh, serve you. But one of the things that's going to fix a lot of those problems is really careful listening to everybody else in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of um, times when the tempo strays is because there's been a lapse of, of attention. There's only a couple reasons why the rhythm is going to get funny. One of them is, is that physically, the motion, whether you're a drummer or a pianist, guitarist, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the motion isn't consistent. Mm -hmm. And that if you get excited, the motion gets shorter and your breath <laughs> changes. Yes. Absolutely. And so that's a, there's that. Yeah. And then the, other, then the other thing is yeah. a lapse in concentration, a lapse in listening. Mm -hmm. And not hearing, but listening. And so I feel like when I play well, which isn't all the time, but when I do play well, <laughs> I feel like I'm not thinking about the drums so much. I'm, I'm really able to hear mm -hmm. everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I can tell if the pianist comes in with a chord a little bit early, I have a choice at that moment. I can go with that, or I can right. say, no, I'm going to hold, I'm mm -hmm. gonna hold it here. Yeah. And so <clears throat> some people say that the drummer is the person, the final arbiter of tempo, but it's not. It's everybody on the bandstand should be hearing each other in that way. Right. Well, so what yeah. determines how you make that choice? Am I going to go along with the, you know, in okay. the direction of the pianist? I mean, because... Sometimes people will completely miss a beat and especially in an improvisational setting in jazz, uh, people get lost in the form. Right. Now you have to perform surgery. You have to decide, do I go with that? And so you have to make a, a judgment call about how is the band going to respond to this? And sometimes you go with them. Yeah. Sometimes you just yield and you drop a beat or you add a beat. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's going to be the thing that's going to fix it. Yeah, that's got to be a masterful thing to be able to do. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you can pull as long as somebody's working with you. For me, the bass player is my first place that I look mm -hmm. because he or she is going to be my ally in terms of the foundation. Yeah. And if the two of us can make it sit where we think it should sit and then somebody else is drifting, they're eventually they're going to get, start to out. get to the point where they're going to realize, oh, I'm ahead or behind and right. I'm going to come back. Mm -hmm. So you can be an anchor like that. Smart. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. It's really fascinating to hear. <laughs> Isn't it? I love that. It's, I, the thing that I would stress is that <clears throat> it's about listening really carefully. And you have a, a number of things that you can think about. One of them is how, how was the tune counted off? Mm. When somebody counted it off, what did it feel like? Do you have a, pic, a, a visual picture of that right. in your mind? of them doing that, and then I'll hold that picture. Oh, interesting, so that's one thing. yeah, cool. Another thing is the emotion of the tune. You're trying to create a vibe for this music to, li to live in. Yeah. So you can tell when the, the tempo has a huge impact on yeah. the vibe. You know, if it's a, oh, it's a ballad and it's really sensitive, there's a certain amount of space that you want to feel and you want to stay inside that place. Right. So you, 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 it's, it's a certain kind of trance almost. Mm -hmm. You stay concentrated on yeah. that. Does that make sense? It totally yeah. makes sense, yeah. Wow. Well, so well then that, yeah. <laughs> that makes me wonder, um, what was it like before you 
developed those listening skills, like in your earlier days? Um, <laughs> you know? Oh, I'd Can rest, you bring I, us back? I'd rest like a big dog. <laughs> 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 because I was enthusiastic. Yeah. And I had energy, yes. which is probably better than going to sleep and having the tempo fall down. <laughs> but eventually you realize that musicians expect a certain degree of stability from mm -hmm. the drummer. Yeah. And some tempos are comfortable. Our heart beats at a certain rate, and we feel certain tempos very well. And other ones are harder. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you have to sometimes consciously practice playing to music or just even with a metronome. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about a metronome. I think for learning some pieces of music, it's a valuable tool. But for using it, um, especially for jazz music, it's probably not a good idea because mm -hmm. if you've got part of your mind focused on the metronome, you're really not giving yourself 100% yeah. to, right. to listening to the music. Interesting. Hmm. As a drummer, do you use a metronome a lot these days? Just some. Just a little bit. Yeah. yeah, some. If I'm learning a new piece of music and I don't have the opportunity to be playing it with the band, um, I just have a chart. I'll, I'll put on the tempo and <clears> I'll, I'll try and hear it as I play it. Right. But I've got the, got the click to show me where my tendencies are. The places that are dangerous are when you have transitions. Mm -hmm. You go from one section to another. Right. Yeah. right. You have to make sure you, you keep feeling that. Always you're feeling that in your body. Yeah. It's not something up in your head. It's in your body. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I'm, I've always just been so attracted <coughs> to the drums. If I could play any other instrument, it would be the drums. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, and growing up, I mean, I'm, I'm also just like a really physical person. Right. And I was thinking about that this morning. Like, why do I love the drums so much? And I think partly it's because I like where I feel it resonating in my body, and it also just makes me dance. It also yeah. it's like yeah. Yeah. I think dancing, and, and I just ha adore dancing. Yeah, you know. There's a there's a little story that I like from Eddie Palmieri. They said, Eddie, when you guys take the stage, you know, playing with a big salsa band, how do you guys know that the audience is going to dance? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you what, what are you thinking? He right. goes, Look, these rhythms came from Africa. They're really old. He said, people had a long time to figure out <laughs> what is going to work. Yeah. He says, so when we take the stage, we don't think people are going to dance. We <laughs> know they're going to dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that topic, I wanted to see kind of where along your timeline it was that your interest went from maybe more American music to music from around the world. Mm -hmm. What kind of took you into that sphere, <clears throat> you know? George actually introduced me to... Um, a drummer from Ghana named Kwaku Dade. And this was in San Francisco. And I took lessons even before I owned any congas. I would take some Remo practice pads and a pair of sticks. And he would sit with a bunch of drums in front of him and play these melodies and play these rhythms. And I would have to imitate that. And then eventually I got some conga drums. Right. And there was an ensemble of his students. And we used to play. He'd get us gigs. Oh, that's cool. And go play at nice. some festival in Cupertino or something oh. like that. And so he gave us the <clears> chance <throat> to play. Wow. Um, and that was in about 1976, 77. Yeah. And then after that, um, I went to Europe with a theater company. I was playing percussion with a theater company. And when I came back um, in the 80s, I started hanging around the Congolese. Um, there was a guy named Malonga Cascolord, who unfortunately was later killed in a car crash in oh, Oakland. But it was a great dancer, and he ran a company called Fuadia Congo. Mm. Um, they performed at all of the festivals in the Bay Area. And 
they would come to Santa Rosa, actually. I mean, I'd go down there to, to play, but they would come to Santa Rosa. And I remember being at the Bene Valley Senior Center on Thursdays mm-hmm. for a couple of years, being able to sit and play accompaniment mm-hmm. with some of their drummers and dancers. Cool. So I did that for four or five years. Wow. And then I was um, introduced to Blanche Brown, who um, runs, uh, had a dance company uh, in San Francisco. And what was that called? Group Petit Lacroix. Hmm. And um, I worked with her for five years, and her drummer was a guy named John Scovell, a very talented American guy who uh, taught me a lot of stuff that he had learned in New York from John Amira and some other people. And so he gave me good information, got me on the right track. Cool. And then after that, I started meeting people from Haiti. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny how that works. It's like when you've got something that that you're passionate about, stuff, people start to appear. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And yeah. um, I ended up going to New York and getting involved with the culture on a, on a you know, community level. Mm-hmm. And then um, met my wife, who turned out to be Haitian. Um, and where did you meet her? I met her here. She was oh. going to teach a course at JFK University in Haitian culture, and she was looking for somebody who could do something with the music. And she told me later, she's like, when, when my name came up, she said, oh boy, great, another white guy thinks he knows something <laughs> about my music. But she realized that, you know, I had some degree of, I was no Haitian and I wasn't a master drummer, but I had some enough background that I could pr- make a presentation mm-hmm. if, if right. she was going to do that. So, And um, I have a friend named Marcus Schwartz who's... Uh, really good drummer and musician in New York. He lived here in the Bay Area until the late 90s, and then he moved back to Brooklyn. He's in New York now. And when I was in Haiti one time, he gave me Danielle's number. He said, you really need to look this guy up. And I had, he'd actually given it to me before then, and I had put it off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm busy, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. et cetera, et cetera. So I went and I met Danielle and did some lessons with him in Port-au-Prince and realized right away that this was a guy that would be a really good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm older than him, but in his world, I'm the child. Hmm. Uh, But he's fine with that. He's, as human beings, we're peers and we're equal. We're both fathers. We have a lot of things that we can talk about other than music Mm -hmm. that we have in common. But his playing is just astonishing. We're now going to play a quick segment of a song called Paragol, and it's a live drum recording uh, featuring Daniel Breville. Thank you. 
and I realized that he was also very open. Some African teachers figure out how to um, capitalize on, on their knowledge, and they charge big money for little tiny bits of information. Right. Daniel wasn't like that. It was like if he gave me something and I could assimilate it, he'd give me the next thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. And we got a grant through the Alliance for California Traditional right. Arts at one point for about a year. They paid for my lessons with him. So that was, nice. that was helpful. That's very nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And um, he was working with a woman named Portia Jefferson who's in Oakland, and she's got a dance company called Rara Tulime. Mm -hmm. And um, I've done a lot of work with them. Um, so it's been a really good thing, and, and I'm not to the bottom of that either. I still go to Oakland every Friday. Wow. And um, <laughs> good on that. as long as I can. So, Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so earlier, you, um, before we started the podcast, yeah. you, you sang something, you chanted something. Mm. Um, would you grace us with that now? You want to hear this? This is a, song, this is a song for Legba. Okay. And... Legba is the guardian of the doorway. Then you open a ceremony with that. Mm. You invite sacred space. Mm -hmm. And there are three aspects of Legba. There's one um, that is the doorway into that space. There's another one that is um, a guardian of the roads that you travel on, that you be safe when you travel. And there's another one of the crossroads. And the crossroads, mm -hmm. to me, are where you have a decision to make in your life. We encounter them. If you think about it, we encounter them almost every day. We have moments where we have to decide mm -hmm. how we're going to turn. I'm at one of those right now. Like yeah. We just yeah. recently yeah. made that decision. Yeah. So I'm feeling teary-eyed, actually, as you're mm -hmm. describing this, because that is just perfect for... <clears throat> I had no idea that that's what it meant, but what you just chanted. But anyway. Papa Ligbalamba Yali Peche la te passe yo pa weli. O baba legbalamba ye ali kampe. Peche la te passe yo pa weli. Tout sa ki di bien, j'aime ma pegade yo. Tout sa ki di ma, j'aime ma pegade yo. Ici en omli, li passe yin piel mande kote a weli. Oh, he's saying. Baba Legba, he stands behind the door. And the people of the earth, they go by, but they don't see him. Mm. So spirit sees us, we don't always see it. Right. Mm -hmm. Everything that I do or say that's good, he sees it. Everything that I do bad, he sees it. <laughs> he signs his name, but he doesn't leave a footprint. Like a proverb. Mm. Signs his name, but he doesn't leave a proverb. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't leave a footprint. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm asking, where are we going to see him? So mm. He signs his name. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no mark. Yeah. So where are we going to see him? Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. That was lovely. So, you know, as I was reading this morning a little bit about um, Haitian drumming and actually was listening to a podcast with Marcus trying to prepare for our time together today. And um, 
One of the things that was mentioned is the religion that goes along with um, Haitian drumming, which is voodoo. Yeah, voodoo. Voodoo. And the, you know, the misunderstandings that the Western world has mm. you know, uh, with voodoo. voodoo. Would you tell us a little bit about yes. that and clarify, clear that well, up? Well, there there's this whole thing that came out of white superiority, white arrogance that is looking at anything that's indigenous as backwards. Mm. Um, right. And Hollywood took up that stereotype and you have movies of zombies flying out of the ground at midnight and superstitious black folks, you know, doing things that are um, that really don't have any meaning. Mm. And this, of course, has nothing to do with African culture. Um, one of the best definitions of voodoo that I ever heard was a, a woman um, who used to be in the dance company. She said, you want a definition of voodoo? It's balance. Mm. Because there are forces in the world that they just personify. In, in the new world, they got conflated with, Catholic, with Catholicism mm. often. So Saint-Jacques is Papa Ogu, right? They had to disguise their yeah. religion. Yeah, a lot of it's very Catholicism. A lot of times they had to put the cloak of it over because it wow. was forbidden. So they're having their service, their ceremony, but to to the Catholic priest it looks like there's the pictures right. of the Catholic saints on the walls, etc. Wow. So that's one way that they had to get by. But behind all of this, there's old, really old and deep knowledge, mm -hmm. and. I, I know this much, you know, just a little bit. But it's been very helpful in my life in terms of getting me beyond the, the not even um, calculated mm -hmm. arrogance of white culture, but just the unconscious arrogance mm -hmm. of being a white guy in a culture where, as my wife says, you can walk into a store and not think that somebody's going to be looking at you on the video to see what mm -hmm. you're going to do. Whereas if you were black, they would be watching you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's made me aware of a whole number of other things that go on. And it's given me a sense of something to counterbalance right. the white mm -hmm. um, imbalance that, that I grew up with. Yeah. And like I said, my, my parents, they were good people, but they knew nothing about this. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't their background. Vodou is a big piece of it is about ancestors. Mm -hmm. And if you look at any traditional culture, the wisdom comes from the elders and from the ancestors. If you have confusion and questions in your life about something, the elders are who you go to. Mm -hmm. And you probably know that in West Africa, um, the griots sing the praise names of your ancestors, you have to pay them, <laughs> but they'll remember your ancestors for 15, 20 generations, and they'll, they'll play them on the talking drum. Wow. They'll give you the names, and not only that, they'll give you what maybe they were known for, or what their contribution to the community was. So then you know, okay, I came from this. Wow. So it connected. gives you a sense of yourself that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So all of this kind of, it's made me start to look at myself in that way, which has been really beautiful. Mm -hmm. hmm. Wow. Well, 
Okay, so then my next question is with Vodou, um and that sort of religion, how is that expressed through the music? And maybe how have you taken that into what you do well, with your music today? It, it, yeah, um, the, the, the rhythms originally were for ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so different spirits have particular rhythms that you play for them. And their dance steps fit. Mm-hmm. So you've got the song, you've got the dance, and you have the drums that all fit together, to exp- and, and it creates a certain feeling. For example, in Haiti, Ogun, or Ogu, um, was somebody that Haitians, when, when, you, when you play Nago for Ogu, it's serious. It's not a lighthearted dance. It's something that the, the spirit of, of Ogu was on the people that fought against the French. They, the Haitian folks kicked the French out. They started in 1791, and by 1806, they were out. And they suffered a lot of losses. So when you're remembering that, there's a sense of loss that goes with it, and also a sense of strength. Right. It's like we're strong enough that we did this. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, so there's an emotional tone yeah. <laughs> to, that, to that rhythm when, when, it, when that rhythm is played. Right. So when you're at the, um, in the, at the dance event in Oakland, so um, are there many drummers? Are you one? Are you a typical ensemble is made up of about six people. Okay. And so do you decide um, together what does one person, how does it, who's the leader? How does like, how do you decide what drum rhythm you're going to like, okay. what spirit or... It, it, um, Ceremonially, there's an order. It's called reglement. Mm-hmm. It's the order that things are, that they proceed in. Mm-hmm. So certain spirits, are, they go in a certain order. So you know sort of how the shape right. of the, the proceedings is going to go. When you play for dance class, it's up to the teacher to decide what he or she wants to work on. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And he, they might only, in, a, in 90 minutes, they may only pick two or maybe three rhythms. Mm-hmm. But there, there are about... 35 or 40 of them mm-hmm. in common practice in Port-au-Prince. And then in the north of Haiti, there's a whole bunch of other ones mm-hmm. that are even older. Mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with that repertoire. So the stuff that I know is Port-au-Prince. Right. Um, and in terms of how the music is organized, there are support parts and then there are talking parts. Mm-hmm. So you have a shaker, mm-hmm. which when I was singing, I was clapping the shaker mm-hmm. part. I see. And it's three, four, one. Mm-hmm. It goes down to the downbeat. It doesn't start on the downbeat. It go up. It comes down. Yeah. So that when you do this, the dancer already knows where her foot's going to go. Right. She's already got it figured out. And then there's a bell part. Um, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I think I've heard you do the cowbell in yeah. some in doing that in some gigs. So you yeah. put the put the two of them together and you get this. Right. So that's sort of a, a matrix that the other music sits on. Okay. Nice. There's a little drum, depending on what music you're doing, there's a little drum that has a repeating part. Mm-hmm. There's a middle drum that talks to the lead drum, and the lead drum has got a lot of latitude and it has a lot of language. It occasionally will comment on the dancing. Sometimes it will ask the middle drum for a different movement. Hmm. So inside any one of these dances, there may be a dozen conversations. Wow. So the middle drummer has to know which one is being asked for. Whoa. That's amazing. The lead drummer says, but I, I want this one. The, lead, the, second, the middle drummer, the second one player changes. Okay. So those two parts are, are moving That's and talking. Oh my goodness. 
and then under that, nowadays, in the old days they didn't have this, but nowadays they have what they call the bass or the bass line, which is, mm. could be f little frame drums or four congas mm -hmm. playing a melody. So with the melody and, and the talking that's going on, it's, there's a lot of polyrhythm. Yeah. Well, you know, it wow. makes me wonder, like, how in the world did you learn all of this in, in this group setting? And do you kind of, are you like an apprentice that kind of hanging out in the back and observing mm -hmm. this? Do you have a teacher that, like, shows you what's happened, tells you what's, what happened later? Or? There are a couple of ways of doing it. Um, the best way is to be like Danielle's daughter, who grew up with it mm. and, right. and just plays it without even thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She plays things that I think are hard, and she doesn't bat her eyes you know, wow. just because she's, she's heard it. Yeah. Uh, if you're from outside the culture, then you go and you ask, you, you say, I'm interested, do you mind if I just observe? Mm. And that's the best thing to do is okay. to not walk in and ask to play anything, just to say, could I just be here? Right. And you watch and you see what you can figure out. And then at a certain point, you might say, could I do a couple of lessons with you? I want to be able to play some support and be part of this. Mm -hmm. So you get repeated parts that aren't too difficult, mm -hmm. and you practice, mm -hmm. and you get to the point where you can hold that together. Now, now is where it gets interesting, <laughs> because when you're playing a repeated part and you're new to this music, the talking parts are going to throw you off the horse unless you can concentrate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because they don't all line up with, with how you're feeling the beat. They, they cut across the beat in ways that sometimes are like completely foreign to you. So you have to just be around this and let it get in your ear. Yeah. And then gradually you can move up to the next drum. They, mm. te they teach you what's going on there. Wow. And then if you're real s serious and want to pursue it, you start studying the lead drum. Mm -hmm. And there, there's some technical hurdles with that. And then there's just the amount of information that you have to remember. Yeah. Wow. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yes. That's, and it's it fascinating. does. Yeah, it's just, it is. Yes. Well. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, I wish I was a video of how excited this is. <laughs> I know. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Well, okay. Um, can we change, like, all of a sudden my mind's going, I want yes. to, like, ask him about yeah, that. Yeah, that's tangent. All right, let's do so, this. All right. This is, like, you know, for my personal reasons. But one of the things that I'm finding that I'm having difficulty with, and I'm wondering if you have a suggestion um, around a pra practice technique, but it's just something something simple. Just um, going from when I'm soloing, doing triplets to, to doing um, uh, 16th notes, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I find it really, I'm not sure why I find it so hard, because if I'm just doing 16th notes, I don't have any problem, you know, being even and steady. But when I'm doing these kind of swung triplets and the next I'm trying to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um there's a, like I said earlier, your first mistake was to think that I know something. <laughs> so I'll tell you how I've approached that. Please. And it's, it's also a work in progress because <clears throat> um, there's a thing called the rhythm pyramid that different cultures use. Mm -hmm. My teacher, Danielle, um, is aware of these different rates of speed against a pulse, but he, he, he doesn't, it's not... Um, Formal. Uh -huh. yeah. It's something that he just he Feels. hears and he can play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Indian tabla players, it's probably a little more codified. Mm -hmm. They have syllables for it. Ta, taka, takita, taka dimi, taka digina, takita, taka. You know, and yeah. in Western terminology, it would be a rate, mm -hmm. a rate of speed. So quarter notes, eighths, triplets, sixteenths, sixteenths, right. triplets, groups of five or seven, mm -hmm. even. Um, mm -hmm. 
So what you can do, it, it doesn't mean anything if it's not related to a pulse. Right. So you have to have a pulse that you're sure about and yeah. then be able to recite it. Using your voice mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing because we're, we use our voice all the time. It's very sensitive mm -hmm. and we have a lot of control over it. So you find that if you speak the rhythms that you want your hands to express, your hands will follow your voice. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's one thing. Yeah. You could try that. But um, drummers have, maybe you have the bass drum on the downbeat, boom, boom, mm -hmm. boom. And slow. Slow is, is good. There's no rush. Right on top of the time. And then... Keep the time going. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm hearing the triplet before I play it. Here's the eighth notes. Right. I'm hearing take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. Okay. You know what? That that's what I have to do is hear it. Hear it before you before switch. Before I. That's that. Yeah. That is God's And it it will. It, eventually, you won't have to think. At mm -hmm. first, you may think. Yeah. Later, you won't have to think. Your your nervous mm -hmm. system is sensitive and it will pick it up mm -hmm. and it'll become just like shifting a gear that you know yeah well yeah. i'm having a deja vu right now that's, <laughs> that's you, crazy you go from triplets to 60s yeah same thing okay that right. is really yeah. go back and forth that is so helpful yeah, yeah thank that's you really smart. I'm thinking about that because I saw you like subdivide your triplet too like you had it in 16th right i had it in eighth notes eighth notes right so the thing is though when you once you've done that work then when you when you play you'll be playing from a place that's really you're sure and it's not shaky yeah I look forward to that and then other musicians will well, trust that. Yeah. And that just helps the band become really strong. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Thank you. I was kind of hoping because, okay, so the last time I saw um, Latin jazz play, it was actually at the jazz forum that you mm. guys played for us. What was so fun about that is that you involved the audience in, um, yeah. I, f I forgot what it was that we, we did. I wish I could remember the name of that tune. But anyway, I was hoping we could do something. Rhythmically speaking, between the three of us, oh, before cool. we call yeah, it, today. Sure. that'd okay. be kind of cool. Even if it's more educational, as far as like the um, well, the jazz forum to me is a great thing. Doug is—I have a lot of appreciation for him over there. He's first of all, he's a great human being. That's number one. He's really positive, and yeah. you know, as a teacher, that's what I was talking about earlier. You want that kind of encouragement, yes, rather than being told that you don't measure up to something. Right. So he's always, he has standards, and this is college. You know, yeah, he's yeah, expecting he you that if you're here, you need to be a certain degree of serious. But, yeah. but he's really a positive guy. And, and he's a great teacher, and he's also, he happens to be a great trombonist and arranger. What's his last name? Leibinger. Doug Leibinger. Doug Leibinger, yeah. Leibinger, Leibinger. yeah. He's, he's a, the school's really lucky to have him. Neat. So... Um, he went through the program at Miami to get his master's. I think he's got a PhD from somewhere else. But mm -hmm. he said that they used to do the forum at Miami every week. If there were visiting artists in town, they would say, look, come by here. We'll give you a little money, and you can come by and 
You could be like an open rehearsal for your band if you need it, or would you talk to us about what you do? Mm-hmm. So he brought that concept to Sonoma Neat. State. Right. Okay, and so so do you want to, like, yeah. so the, the forum there at Sonoma State mm-hmm. is, can you just say a little bit more about it? Well, sure. it's, it's, it goes every Wednesday. I think it's at noon. No, it's is it Friday, Friday now? now? It's Friday now at noon, 12.05, Okay, so mm-hmm. you never know who it's going to be. Sometimes it's one of the faculty, but very often it's somebody who's in town. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's sometimes not an individual, but a band. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So they'll play, and then you can stop, and it's like an open rehearsal, and you you can ask them questions. Yes. Wow. It's free. It's free to the public. Man. That's free. what I was going to say. Daniel, so. you have to, you've told me about that. You just said mm-hmm. there's this thing on Fridays, but I've just I've never gone. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Sweet. Go check it out. Yeah. All right. Faculty Jazz is I believe next week, if I'm correct. I'll look at the calendar. Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, so for yeah. our listeners, that the might be something you want to check out. That yes. Friday forum. Totally. Snow That's Snowma State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Highly recommend that. Yeah. 12 noon. Yes. Yeah, so back to um, seeing if we could do a rhythmic thing together. Oh, yeah. I'd love that. That's kind of just for me. <laughs> okay, so. Looking forward to this. Here's a, a part from the little drum in the, in the voodoo ensemble, in the rada ensemble. And it's simple to understand, but not as easy to hold when there's a bunch of other stuff happening. Right. It's the upbeat portions of a triplet. So why don't you have something that you can yeah. play? You can play on your cup. You have a like a chopstick or a pencil. Um, do you want to pause that? Yes, I'll pause it. We'll grab some things real quick. So the bell part is. Yeah, by itself. Right. Your part mm-hmm. is. Um, <laughs> Okay, and I'm playing two parts. Oh wow! They're mm-hmm. simple, but they uh, they'll show you how the drums talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Cool. So one part is the middle drum, the higher drum, going this. Mm-hmm. Now I can improvise around that, but the basic shape is that. drum is going to converse.
was that so is much so fun. Damn fun. Oh. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that? It's like the second I start thinking about what I'm doing, I'm right on the edge of losing mm-hmm. my like ability yeah. to do it. It's strange. <laughs> but yeah, how cool is that? Good job. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was thank fun. You. Thank no, that you. Was, that, that was, was really fun. We're still rolling, yeah? Yes, we're still mm-hmm. rolling. There's a couple of people that um, mm-hmm. I'd like to mention and um, that have been important to me. Um, one of them, a guy that I, he, he passed away about four or five years ago now, his name is John Sauls. And the reason that I bring him up is, I mean, first of all, he, he had me record some records with him. But to me, he epitomizes a really humble guy who was not looking for fame and fortune. He just felt music and wanted to, he was a songwriter. Mm. Um, he lived over in Glen Ellen and played guitar had a little home studio, and he'd get good people to come, and he was always writing songs. And when he had enough for a record, he'd just record it, and then he'd go on to the next one. So this was something that he did. Um, really sweet guy. And I would want to remind all of us that there are people like that that are under the radar in every community, and not just musicians, in every walk of life, there's people doing really beautiful work, and they're soulful people that we don't hear about. We tend to hear stuff on the news that's negative, and mm-hmm. you know we need to remember that there's great stuff going on yeah. that you don't hear about every day. You have to look for these people a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Is this person's? Um, does he have anything? Probably not on Spotify. I don't think at this point he does, but I'm going to send you a track oh, that great. I did with him. Wonderful. And then from there you can you can research and okay. maybe maybe you can find some things online. Okay. I don't know. I, I haven't do. looked. Right. Now we're going to play part of a tune written by John Sauls, and this is titled Any Fool. So on this, John plays guitar and vocals, uh, Gary Potterton is on guitar, and Kendrick is on drums. is a pianist named Tony Deanna, mm. who was local. Um, Tony passed away in 2012, and he, I consider him like an elder brother to me. When I was 20 and I just moved to the county and I was pretty green, he would let me play with his jazz trio. Mm. And he never criticized me, and he could have. Mm. I had a number of problems to solve at that, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> and, um, some guys would have let me know in no uncertain terms. Mm-hmm. But he was never like that. He just would make suggestions. Why don't you listen to some Thelonious Monk? Why don't you listen to some Mingus? Why don't you listen to Bill Evans at the Village Vanguard with Scott LaFarrell? Etc. right? And it was always just trying to get me to connect with the music. Right. Then later, um, I had a kind of a world music band with him and Kim Atkinson. Mm. Um, we put out a couple of records, but we would play together all the time. 
and it was pretty wide open, and eventually some compositions developed out of that. But Tony, Tony, I, I woke up one morning at that farmhouse in Valley Ford, and I heard Ravel being played downstairs. I heard the beginning of uh, Les Tombeaux de Couperin being played, the opening movement, and I just, I woke, I knew the piece, and I loved the piece. Mm -hmm. And I woke, and then it dawned on me, wait a minute, we don't have a stereo. This oh. is Tony playing this. Oh, my God. So he wasn't just a jazz guy. He loved Debussy and Ravel, mm, yeah. and Chopin. Um, and once again, very quiet and a complete uh, um, one-of-a-kind human being. I've never met anybody like him. I mean, he'd go into gigs with no shoes, <laughs> and, you know, big beard. Yeah. This next song is titled Night Messenger, and it features Tony Deanna on keys, uh, Dolok, and the Flexo's flute. You also have Kim Atkinson on percussion and Kendrick on drums as well. sweetest cats that you'd ever ever want to meet well you know maybe that's a good jumping off point to, to bring up um, what you were talking about, that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about mm. earlier before we started the podcast about image and um, all of that stuff mm -hmm. remember what we were yes. yes image and music yes image and, music and sort of performance and, 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 uh, okay so here's here's a guy I mean Tony passed when he was 71 mm -hmm. which is the older I get the younger that seems <laughs> uh, but um, we had some words about what happens to a musician's career when they get older yeah. and sometimes they're not valued for what they have <laughs> mm -hmm. and of course the body isn't going to look like it looks when it's 19 right. and if you're looking for something superficial like that you're going to miss what these people have to offer yeah. Yeah, so Tony, Tony was never interested in fame and fortune. He, if he had had an agent and been interested in getting gigs and pushing himself out there, he could have done it. He, mm -hmm. he, he, he was a beautiful player. Mm -hmm. But he just wanted to live locally and live his life and express him, him, his spirit through music. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we know a couple of people that they have a hard time getting work. Mm -hmm. Because yes. of their age, mm -hmm. or how they how they look, mm -hmm. yes. how they present themselves, and sometimes it's a double-edged sword. It's like I'm aware if I'm performing that I don't want to go to a nice 
place in jeans and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's some responsibility on the musician, but mm -hmm. there's also your sense of yourself and how you want to express yourself too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, if a club owner isn't looking for that, then you're you're going to have a hard time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Ageism. And I think for, yeah, age, ageism, age and, and age. with especially with singers too. I think, yeah. you know, it's even more so because you know the singers expected to be. You know, I mean. Not a, that's that's actually just kind of a, a generalization. Mm. I don't want to say you know that for sure, but I think there is something to be said for that, and um, that somebody that's young and attractive is has this kind of appeal, a little more appeal, but um, superficially, right. hello, just right. superficially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that brings you into the. Um the area of kind of quick stereotyping, mm -hmm. which is what we all tend to do. You know, I'm trying to be better about it, but I catch mm -hmm. myself to it all the time. Walk into a venue and see a certain person look a certain way. I can see a lot of people just immediately stereotyping that and trying to filter it out. You know, they're not interested maybe once they see a certain image. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that just brings me to the topic. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It's just part of the culture mm -hmm. and just part of I think how humans operate yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a quick well, judgment in a way there's um, I was reading a book recently called A Language Older Than Words by Derek Jensen um, he's an ecologist really he's yeah. had a, a not an easy time of life as a child he went through some rough stuff but he talks about how we're not separate from the world around us and one of the things that really creates trouble is when um you have mass production and the idea of a product that's going to make money. And when the product and the dollar bill become more important than the people mm -hmm. that are involved in the chain. Yeah. And we see examples of that everywhere. Oh, yeah. His examples were the damming of the Columbia River and clear-cutting trees. Yeah. It's, that's like hurting your own body. Yeah. And the people that only see the, the end of, I'm going to get rich from this, they don't mm -hmm. see that maybe until right. it's too late. Right. So this is the kind of thing, it, in terms of musical terms, um, it reminds me that the music, the art of music in this country in particular is connected to the, um, the entertainment industry. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I see those two things as different. Mm -hmm. And I'm not against entertainment. I, I think that's good, but it's got to be conscious. Mm-hmm. And when it just, you know, is all about flash yeah. mm. and flavor of the week rather mm. than some music that's really going to stand the test of time, then and I think... And that really feeds your soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, like, I mean, it's kind of slightly embarrassing to say, but even for me, you know, um, and I'm like a year away from 60, and, you know, I, I have felt that kind of weird feeling a little bit with myself and... You know, I started so late in what I'm doing, and it's taken me a while to get going. And and you know, I so I feel that too a little bit sometimes. Mm. Um, so and you know, it gets scary for for me to kind of see what's happening, like a lot of people with my face and my body and all of this stuff. Mm. And what helps me to kind of um, transcend that? Uh, I mean, it's one thing to just feel the realities of the net the the cycles of life right. you know and yeah. and everything there's just that yeah. that's what happens and and to really embrace that but for me to be able to actually recognize my own value and not actually be caught up in and believing all of the lies right is really the core thing and so what i look for like with daniel daniel's only what 24 
23. Coming out 24. <laughs> right. And, you know, studying at the JC that I did, you know, I, I have had some lovely connections with people. Yeah. You know, and so even though I'm this older person, um, when I'm connected to my own core and I'm remembering who I am, I can connect yeah. with others. And ultimately, when I ask myself, what am I afraid of, of getting older? It's that fear of, like, um, I won't be able to connect with people because... You know, I, so but no, it's it's like mm-mm. no, that's that's no. truthful. I appreciate the truth <coughs> in that. Um, I think one way out of that trap mm-hmm. is to be in the moment, mm-hmm. to really be in each moment yes. that you're doing. Then you, and, you, the future and the past go away. Yeah, and really, it's only in the moment. Yes, exactly, because that's where we experience connection. Yeah. That is the only place. And. That's what an audience wants, right? Mm-hmm. They want that feeling of that. Yeah. That's the healing. Mm-hmm. When an audience gets that, they go home and they feel better. And they also, the side benefit is that next time you come to town to play, they're going to remember. Yeah. They're going to say, Yeah, I had a great time. Let's go see her again. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and hopefully the venue will we'll be like, we just, I just got a message from somebody before getting on here. I'm not going to name names, but you know, she's an incredible singer. And, you know, just got nixed from this venue um, after performing and doing wonderfully and having all these great, you know, tons of people showing up and, you know, people buying food and buying drinks, spending their money there and people that she doesn't know coming up to her saying all these wonderful mm-hmm. things. And then, you know, she's not being invited back to the venue. What? You know, yeah. so it, that's just like whatever. It is what it is. But I just want to call it out. Yeah, you have to be um, perseverant. There are a couple of quotes that come to my mind. One of them was, to me, there are a lot of um, analogies between sports and what we do, just in terms of performance. In other words, how do you get yourself to a, that, the, the highest level that you're capable of? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you have to push. And there was a coach of Notre Dame football, actually. I'm not really a football guy. But when I read this, it struck me. His name was Ty Willingham. And he said, if you don't meet your own expectations, you open yourself to the will of other people. Mm. That is deep. So, mm. yeah. you know, you, yes. you have to like make sure that you work hard enough to get everything out of yourself that you can. And you usually will find that that in itself will be enough to open doors. Yeah. Right. But if you don't do that, then all of a sudden you're asking somebody else for some work and you have to do it under their terms. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. Mm. Um, The other one was by a jazz drummer from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'll have to paraphrase because it was a long piece. But Mm -hmm. basically he said, you have to be, keep your eyes open and be perseverant. You can't let, he says, for example, he says, Mm -hmm. if I'm trying to move this cup across the table and you put your arm out and you block me. Right. He says, if I start to push against you, it becomes personal. <laughs> True. He says, so you have to go around or over or you, he says, the important thing is to keep moving that cup. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's, it's, I mean, life in any in any walk of life, we've got resistance yes. to overcome. Yes. It's going to make us stronger if we yeah. don't. It, it's a cliche, but you know, yeah. it's it's not the failure, but it's to get up and continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that. I really love that. Yeah, it's something I have to remind myself yeah. of all the time. 
all of these things I got to remind myself yeah. of constantly. You know? Oh my gosh. Do you have a like a book or a list of amazing quotes that I can steal from you? <laughs> They're all up in your no, no, no. I I have this book here of stuff that that I write down when when they come to me, and I don't always remember to write things down. But sometimes somebody will say something to me that seems really important, u- useful, and I'll put it in there. So I I just have a little notebook that That's I keep really of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you write songs at all? Occasionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, With melodies. Or mm-hmm. 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 Um, I worked with a mandolin fiddle player named Joe Craven for about 14 years. Um, I've got a few things that I wrote. One of them was about being in the earthquake in Haiti. I was on the street in Port-au-Prince when the earthquake arrived in 2010. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that was catastrophe. Oh, my God. So I came home, and a bass player that I know, when I talked to him, he said, put it in the music. Because you have this experience that's it's almost too much for one person, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to get it off you. Yeah. yeah. So he said, put it in the music. So I wrote a piece. Um, I've got, maybe the course of my life, a half a dozen pieces of yeah. music. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a songwriter, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I was just curious because yeah. um, <clears throat> I enjoy your words a lot. Well, thank I you. I what you said, yeah. You know, we're all, we're all part of the same. Here we are. We're together, right? Yeah. That's, that's more important. Yeah. Our culture glorifies individual achievements, yes. and that's at the risk of taking some flack. I'll say that's a white mm-hmm. legacy, mm-hmm. A, a legacy of kind of colonial. Yeah dominant mm-hmm. legacy. It may not be just white. It's, it's probably been done for thousands of years, one culture trying to subdue another one. But it's certainly not a cooperative concept. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> When I think about colonialism and uh, countries taking over under other countries, you know, I, I read the history of Haiti, actually, before you came on, just because I know that Haiti is your thing. And... Um, you know, it's just, it's just the whole, what happens is, is just amazing. Like, I don't understand why countries want to take over other countries. Like, I don't know, I just don't get it. By the way, I did want to say there was kind of one thing that I read that, um, that was kind of neat, which is that, I mean, neat is not the right word to say, but um, that Haiti was the first country to abolish slavery. That's what, I, at least I read this mm. today. Well, not be true. yeah, they, they, um, they, like I said, they kicked the French out. Mm-hmm. And by 1806, they were a free black republic. And Cuba and Brazil and the U.S., it all came later than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, it's, it's important to, even reminding myself now, just that we're all connected. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Just doing that. Rhythmic exercise together, I, you know, that sort yeah. of thing really connects me. Well, if, if you, there are many ways to look at things. I don't have any answers, but of course, um, when you meet somebody on the street nowadays, I think that could be me. Mm, yeah, you know, it, it could be somebody who's driving a great car and obviously is doing very well in life, or it could be somebody who's homeless. Mm-hmm. And it's like this person is in front of me at this moment, so there's a resonance if mm-hmm. I, if I allow it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Interesting. 
maybe back onto the topic of music for just a moment. Um, I actually wanted to talk about your quintet that you've been a part of for about five years, I believe. Um, I have some notes written down, so I'm just pulling those out right now. But in fact, it's kind of interesting. I didn't realize that um, Cliff was the bassist of this group. Oh, this is Ricardo Peixoto. Yes, yes, indeed. Ricardo's a wonderful guitar player. Um, He's... He plays a lot of Brazilian choro music and jazz and other things too, but he's got a collection of compositions that he's developed over the last 20 years that are just beautiful writing. Really hard to describe. There's an element of jazz improvisation in them. There's some Brazilian roots in there, but there's there's modern harmony. There's counterpoint. It's, It's really great music, and it's it doesn't follow standard forms. It's challenging. Mm. Cool. And uh, we're doing a show at Occidental Community Arts um, in May. Um, Perfect. What's do you the know date the date? That, do you yeah. Uh, I could tell you. I think. Yeah. Twenty. No, May sixteenth. May sixteenth. May sixteenth. All right. And what the time? Occidental Center for the, Center for the Arts. Yeah. Yes. Saturday, May sixteenth. Gotcha. I think May it's 16th. probably seven thirty or eight okay. o'clock. Perfect. Um, it's a great venue. But it's, yeah, it's, it's been nice to be in a band to the point where you can start to memorize the music instead of having to, you know, have it be a pickup group where you, you're either playing stuff that you just know in common or mm-hmm. that you're reading. Right. And, I mean, as musicians, we, we do that all the time. We do both those things all the time, but we're really trying to memorize his stuff. And if you look at a, a touring band that's able to play several times a week or maybe four or five nights a week, you get to the point you don't need to be reading it. Yeah. And I think it really helps the music to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Would you say his name again and spell his last name? Peixoto, P-E-I-X-O-T-O. Mm-hmm. Peixoto, Ricardo Peixoto. Great. And then the other members of the band, Ken Cook? Yeah, Ken is, Ken is the pianist. Ken so Cook on piano, Baba Fifi on flute, mm-hmm. uh, Cliff Hugo on bass, and myself on drums. Right. Cool. I was listening nice. to some of his compositions on the way here, and I thought they were gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, Ricardo's, that is. I like his writing. Um, I can send you something. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Wonderful. Yeah. And this last song we're going to play is a tune by Ricardo Peixoto, titled Circles. you had a musical fantasy it could involve anything at all with no suggestions uh, coming from our our way to put into your head but right. like just a musical fantasy something that you know a dream whether it's realistic or not something to experience well one of the things that 
is still, I'm hoping to be able to create in my lifetime, would be a band of maybe a, a quintet, but with um, a couple of women who could dance Haitian stuff and to have some of the Haitian rhythms up in that music. Oh, wow. So it could be a scenario that maybe in a club situation where there's not enough money, you just go in as a quintet, but if it's a bigger scenario and they can afford it, you have the, the dances integrated into that. Neat. Oh, wow. wow. That'd be really I'd cool. I'd love to go see that. Yeah. Like local here. That'd be so cool. That would be really neat. <laughs> I, I actually used to take an, um, an Afro-Haitian mm. dance class mm. here. Um, but, yeah. Mm. I know. It's amazing. But, so even, it seems like, Occidental Center for the Arts would yeah. be a really nice venue for that with the wood floor. Yeah, the, the stage is big enough. stage is, yeah. The stage is big enough. Neat. Well, now you're on record. Yeah, <laughs> you're on record. Now. You yeah. do it, like, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's why we ask. Yeah. Get people to get on their dreams. <laughs> well, this has been such a pleasure, Kendrick. The best. Just yes. Thank you so right. much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And again, thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Um, so many great nuggets of wisdom, information, and just hopefully we're all feeling a little more connected after this. I know I am. So yes. thank you, Kendrick, again for coming out. Okay. It's been delightful. So great. All right. Till yeah. next time. Till next time. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks.